a broadcast for an incoming transmission from the library. It appears that Blue Stocking has been able to make contact and the Steampunk Dollhouse will begin transmitting momentarily. Stay tuned for more news from these intrepid defenders of all our literary fields. Welcome to the Steampunk Dollhouse. My name is Blue Stocking, and I will be your host and librarian for the next little while. So please settle in, get comfortable. We have some things to discuss. Now, this is a fresh and sparkling new podcast. So I felt like maybe I should begin at the beginning, as it were, and explain a few things about who I am and why we're here having this conversation about steampunk literature uh, especially in light of all the steampunk podcasts that have come and gone over the years. Now, steampunk literature is a passion of mine, as is the steampunk subculture, and has been for many years. I went back to college in 2013, and it was during this time as an undergrad that I began to look at steampunk literature in a more critical way. It became clear to me that steampunk literature could be used as an effective tool for deconstructing and discussing difficult subjects like colonialism, homogenization of societies, and the damage that technology can do to the environment and to our own psyches. To me, it seemed like a good way to take situations and problems and set them apart, uh, highlighting often in an incredibly exaggerated fashion the things that we no longer see. And there are so many things that we no longer see. We're blinded through our privilege and oversaturation and 24-hour news cycles that continually bring us new horrors but never really resolve the problems that came before or provide us with solutions. Now, having said that, it still never occurred to me that I should begin my own podcast. I mean, I love podcasts. I listen to so, so many podcasts. I think they are a fantastic medium for the communication of ideas and stories. I just didn't think I had the material to fill one. Uh, And then American politics took a really bizarre and dangerous turn. Uh, My anxiety increased a thousandfold. And at this point, I think it's a good idea for me to pause just for a second and to tell you that, yes, I absolutely intend to discuss politics and my dissatisfaction with the current state of the union. Um, Even if I wanted to avoid political discussion, I can't because the very nature of the best steampunk literature, the literature that I want to talk about, is inherently political. There is no avoiding it. So if that will be an issue for you, I would suggest you go ahead and shut me off now. Uh, This won't be a light-hearted, apolitical romp through foggy, alternate Victorian London with goggles donned and top hats flying. I'm all for the excitement of Pulp Fiction, and it has its place, but that place is not here, and it's not where my interest lies. Now, back to the issues. Um, I could see things that were happening that were absolutely anathema to me, and they were so absurd and so obnoxious and so horrific I couldn't stand it. All of the things that I had been writing in my essays and my reviews about steampunk seemed as if they were being played out in real time and full horrible color. Um, Medical, technological, environmental advances were being questioned and put in danger. 
basic rights for women and people of color and non-Christians were and are being threatened and even stripped totally in some places. Or if they're not being stripped, a damn good effort is being made to put that into process. Um, And while these issues have always existed in America, things seem to have reached an almost cartoonish level of insanity at this point. And all of that was going on, and then he came for the libraries. Uh, (laughs) See, the thing is, I really am truly a librarian in training. I I am a library school grad student, and I am working to get a degree in the field that I have wished to work in for as long as I can remember. Uh, I started grad school in January, and the proposed cuts to funding for the Institute of Museum and Library Services came out in March. Uh, And it was clear from the reaction that followed that librarians were pissed. Uh, The librarians I followed on Twitter were pissed. The librarians I work with were pissed. The librarians on TV were just angry as fuck. Um, The actual budget, though, from the federal spending standpoint, it's only about $230 million, which, when parceled out to the states and then to the libraries within those states, isn't very much. Even if this money was to be equally divided, it would only be $4.6 million per state, which is then spread out to all of the libraries and museums within those states that need the funding. So take that $4.6 million per state per year and compare that to weekends golfing at Florida resorts. Go ahead, Google it, I dare you, just take a look. Now, this is only going on an even and equal division to prove a point. The money is actually parceled out on a population basis, and it isn't only the 50 states that are funded through the IMLS. Money also goes to the territories of Guam, American Samoa, the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, the Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana Islands, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, and then also to the freely associated states of the Federated States of Micronesia, the Republic of Palau, I'm probably saying that wrong, and the Republic of the Marshall Islands. Um, There is a base amount to each of the 50 states, Puerto Rico and D.C., uh, this base amount is 680000 and then the others, the territories, uh, get 60000 and upwards from there based on their size and the amount of their need. Now, as a librarian, of course, I have my citations ready to roll for anyone who wants to see where I'm getting my facts and figures. Uh, you can find all citations uh, in the episode notes, and they'll also be posted on the website. Now, something I would also like to add, because I keep hearing this come up in response to a myriad of protests is that we should realize how lucky we are to live in a country that lets us protest about how oppressed we are. Here's the thing, though, that's a really specious fucking argument, and it needs to be stifled now. Stop telling me that I'm lucky to live in a country where I'm not openly raped in the street because I want fair wages. That is fucking stupid, and it makes no sense because what it's basically saying is... Stop complaining, little lady. You might get paid less and you can't make decisions about your own body, but hey, at least you can drive a car. Fuck you. I will complain and I will resist and I will persist until we are all on equal footing. Now, it was at this point when my speechifying finally started to hit unheard of levels of hysteria, even for me, that the suggestion was made that maybe I should start a podcast. Uh, It was actually my closest darling the heart of my heart, who suggested this, and at the time, I thought he was nuts. He's sweet in that he believes I can do anything that I set my mind to, but he's nuts. Now, after ruminating on it a little more, I'm pretty sure he just wanted to give me an outlet so that I would stop corning my friends and my loved ones with my diatribes. Um, I wanted to give it a shot, though, decided to try, and this is the result of that. This first episode is intended as an icebreaker, 
It's a way for me to let you know who I am and hopefully for me to find out a little about you all out there in the wilds. Um, please do keep in mind that I am brand new at this. I am 41 years old and I am using technology that, well, outside of the computer, the technology is brand new to me. I've never used GarageBand. I've never used a microphone for anything in my life that I didn't have to. So, and podcasting, obviously, I've never done. So this is all new. It's going to be rough. Um, it might sound like it's coming out of a bunker sometimes and... Some of that's intentional, and some of it's not, uh, but I am doing my best, and improvements will be made as we go along. But for now, we're going to take a quick little musical break, a bit of a morale booster, and when we come back, I will turn the conversation to steampunk and why I love it so much. I pledge allegiance to the CIA, I'll never question anything they say, that's the way it all went down. You thought you found Check your fourth amendment at the door We can't afford these freedoms anymore The enemy is everywhere You can't be free when you're always scared Vote for me and you can keep your guns And they will keep you safe from everyone Yeah, it's just like a Pledge of Allegiance by Browlitz. If you would like to hear even more music of the steampunk persuasion, please tune in to the Clockwork Cabaret. They are a long-running musical podcast hosted by the ever-amazing Emmett Davenport and the always-amusing Lady Edderkop. You can find them on iTunes and most other podcatchers. I love them. I've listened to them for almost 10 years now, and I think you will love them as well. For those of you still with me, I thank you for hanging in there. These are perilous times we live in, and we can only get through them by being there for each other. Now, as I stated at the beginning of the episode, I do see steampunk as a valuable way to discuss and dissect the issues that we're all seeing and experiencing on a daily basis. Uh, it is because it is hourly, it is daily, it is hourly, it is every minute that we can start to lose track of the outrage and the inequality. Uh, we become mired down and we can't see past certain things. It just becomes day to day. But if we pull back, we take these issues maybe set them in a fantastical framework, they can become a little more clear to the eye. Um, we, we all know the stories of British colonialism in India, but what do we really know? Do we understand the damage that was done when the English began flooding China with opium? And, God, what about the American Civil War and the toll it took on 
everyone, the amount of people who died because of that war of all colors and genders on both sides is appalling. And for what? The continued bondage of human beings? History is rife with the horrific ways that human beings have dealt with each other. But the age of industrialization and steam saw unprecedented levels of technological advances. And while many of these were for the good of mankind, many, many more were just new ways to kill each other. Uh, the period from the War of 1812 to World War I was a massive game of leapfrog. And we learned so much and we changed so much Technology, medicine, philosophy, literacy, um, ideas were literally flying through the air with the invention of the telegraph and the telephone and the radio. <laughs> I'm reminded of the words of Walter Bishop from uh, the television show Fringe when he, the very beginning when he says, so much has happened here and so much is about to. And it's true, so much did happen and so much more was to come, but... I think that it's also true that ideas and advances tend to run ahead of our ability to truly understand their scale and their scope. War machines are created and let loose, and then we gasp in horror and shock at the vast numbers of the dead. Biological weapons are created and let loose, but we cringe when we're shown pictures of what we've done. And I know I'm rambling, but my point is this. We all know the horrors of human history, but how many of us equate that to what is happening to humanity now, to America? Um, the comparison has been made before to the point that it starts to seem trite, but Rome really did fall, eventually, to the barbarian hordes. And it wasn't all at once. It took time. There were many mistakes. There were many missteps. And very bad decisions were made by the people that were supposed to be in charge and supposed to care about the welfare of the state. So what if we take events that we are already familiar with, like the bombing of Hiroshima, or the American Civil War, or the Belgian conquest of the African Congo, and we flip them, we turn them over, shake them down, and take a different view? Uh, history, what I have seen, history often turns just on a dime on the tiniest and most minute events. I mean, for fuck's sake, World War I began with a sandwich. And yes, I know that's really reductive, but it fits the point that I'm trying to make. Uh, through the use of science fiction plot devices, like those found in steampunk, we can take another look at history and the world that we've made because an assassin wanted a sandwich. It's in this way that we might see where we went wrong, and maybe we can make the effort to not do that again. Now, it's with this in mind that I want to examine steampunk in a deeper and more critical way. Uh, there's also the inherent problems that steampunk itself possesses, most notably the lack of inclusion and diversity. This is why I generally won't be covering books that take place in the typical Victorian London setting, because those books have their place, and they have a very devoted audience, but there are deeper, more meaningful books to discuss. Uh, we've all heard by now, at least I hope we've heard by now, the importance of intersectional theory, uh, if you've gone to college any time, at least in the past decade, you know what intersectionality is, or you should know. If you don't know, go Google it, look it up. I'm not explaining it. You need to read about it because it is important. And if it applies anywhere, it most assuredly applies to steampunk. History is messy and violent and beautiful and ugly and crazy and wild, and it's shaped by people of all colors and religions and beliefs and countries and ideas and their dogmas and their cultures and their societies. 
These threads are irrevocably woven together, and so we can't discuss one and leave out the rest. That would make for an incomplete picture, and we already have too many of those. So, for the next episode, the first quote-unquote official episode, we will discuss the beginnings of modern of the modern steampunk movement. Um, and this is a, a bit of a debate over whether this was the beginnings or not, but I feel that it is. And this is my podcast, so I'm saying that this was the beginnings of the modern steampunk movement. It was a very short series of very short books uh, that were called the Nomad of the Time Stream series. They were written by an English anarchist named Michael Moorcock. And he may not have intended to start a movement, but he did. And I want to talk about why his character, Oswald Bastable, is so important and what Oswald can tell us about the dangers of colonialism and this white savior ideal that was created. So I ask that you please join me in three weeks for Islands in the Stream, or How a Privileged White Victorian Man Had His Eyes Opened Rather Forcefully. Thank you for listening, and I hope to see you soon.